Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today. I'm also struggling with a bit of a cold, so I want to apologize ahead of time if I start to cough. Um, where our show today, I think, is going to be hopefully really uh, illuminating for a lot of for a lot of you. Um, we're going to be talking about um, accreditation, um, quality of improvement accreditation, and we get our accreditation at Westbridge through CARF. And I think it's so important for um, both families and individuals and other providers to understand why it's important to be, in our instance, CARF affiliated. There are so many people and there are programs out there that don't define well what they do, and I think it really confuses the consumer. And, and one of the um, great things about um, being accredited for us by CARP is we really had to figure out who we are and how we're going to go about doing business. And I think that that is just so important um, so that we are able to provide good quality work. Um, and so I'd like to introduce our guest, who is Michael Johnson, and he joined CARP as Managing Director of Behavioral Health Care in 2013, his responsibilities include maintaining of standards for behavioral health, training and marketing to behavioral health industry. Um, Michael is a certified addictions professional, and he has more, more than 30 years of experience as a clinician and a manager and executive working in mental health, substance abuse, and intellectual disabilities. Michael has been a leader in the industry, providing expertise to national and state initiatives in training, accreditation, and EMR adoption. He was a CARF surveyor for 16 years and holds a master's degree in communications from the University of Central Florida. Um, thank you, Michael, for agreeing to spend this hour with us. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mary. Um, I think it's really important if we could just lay the groundwork about um, about how accreditation came about, and, and maybe we can go from there. What, what's the historical perspective on accreditation? Well, for behavioral health. Yeah, I mean, well, that, yeah, that narrows it down a little bit, actually, because, um, you know, there has been accreditation in a variety of different settings in education. Um, certainly, um, I think most people are familiar with uh, accreditation for universities and secondary schools. Um, there's been accreditation of hospitals for a number of years. But really, uh, accreditation in behavioral health is a relatively... A newer area of accreditation. It, it, with CARF, it started in the late 80s when we actually um, began to develop uh, programs of accreditation in, the, in, in uh, mental health and, and substance abuse arena. Um, I, I think that part of the rationale for that is 
there there is not a uh, very well and and universally defined set of of standards for quality in the delivery of mental health services um, and or in the uh, addictions world and so what accreditation does is at least it says to the consumer ultimately of services that this particular organization has you know reached out um, brought in some International or nationally national accrediting body to say that um, you know we conform to these set guidelines of our practice that we are working to improve quality and uh, report outcomes and um, and that and that we are are seeking to be the best that we can be. Uh, it's you know the the process of accreditation is a constant evolution of of quality improvement activities. And I think that's the, the core of why an organization becomes accredited and why that's important ultimately to family members and to individuals seeking help would be that um, you can be assured that not only that somebody else is coming in and spending some time overseeing uh, the activities of this particular organization, but also that the, um, the organization has committed itself to understanding, as you said, how it defines itself, how it defines its quality uh, improvement activities and its outcomes and organizing all of that information in a way that's meaningful um, to be able to test itself against the, the best organizations in the industry. You know, I think, it's, um, I think it's important for families to understand and everybody that the process of continuing improvement, and you, you kind of touched on it um, a minute ago, but, you know, in the old days when I worked in an addiction treatment program, we had a 28-day program, and that 28-day program pretty much looked the same day one as it did, you know, four years into it. And the, the thought of, of um, you know, evolving care was not really what we were thinking about doing. We were thinking about adhering to a model of care without thinking that it would evolve or that people would evolve. And then we started to get people that had um, cocaine addiction or eating disorders, and we really had to take a step back and look at who we are and, and what do we do. And it was, um, it, was, it was a confusing time. Well, you know, one of the other things that's inherent in your statement, and I, you know, I too worked in one of those 28-day uh, substance abuse residential treatment programs, and really what we believed was that the model is what worked, right? We, we right. had a, a curriculum. We believed that, you know, once you got exposed to all of this information, then um, you were going to eventually conform to um, a set of recovery principles that we had laid out. We believed that we knew what individuals needed more so than perhaps the individuals themselves um, knowing what they needed. And I think part of the evolution of our field has been that we recognize that not everyone recovers the same. Not everybody, um, you know, adapts to the particular uh, service that we deliver the same way um, and that we need to, to not only do a thorough assessment and certainly our CARF standards apply here, um, not only do we have to do a, a, a thorough assessment of um, each individual, but we really have to develop a customized treatment programs that um, meet the needs of, of those individuals based on that assessment. And certainly we gathered, you know, history from, from people, you know, back in those days that 
um, we were referencing, um, but we really didn't use that uh, to determine what the individual needed. Um, and I think that's one of the, the great things that um, organizations hopefully have begun to evolve more and more into in today's world. So maybe you could just give us an example of how um, how being carpet credited would, would affect somebody's, um, like an organization's fiscal health. Well, I, I think there's a couple of different ways, both direct and indirect. I think from a direct perspective, we have, uh, you know, a whole cluster of standards about financial performance of an organization and things that an organization that's accredited must do, whether it's um, ensuring that there are um, good and clear policies and procedures for how, you know, money is handled, how budgets are established and and um, approved within an organization, um, you know, how that how the audits must be performed, et cetera. Um, so I think that, that directly we have some, uh, some influence there. But really from an indirect perspective, if an organization becomes accredited, one of the things that we've seen over and over again through CARF is that once an organization has been accredited for a while, things start to change in the organization in terms of consumers report higher, higher levels of satisfaction, um, outcomes of the of the people that are being served by that organization continue to improve, and usually organizations win more business as a result because now suddenly um, uh, insurance companies are more willing to do business with an accredited organization than an unaccredited organization. Um, states or local authorities usually are starting to push um, more services to the accredited organizations, and so consequently, um, there's opportunities for growth and then, you know, more fiscal stability. And that's really, at the end of the day, having an organization that's going to be there and that's going to, to survive over a number of years is really important to an individual seeking services. You don't want to, to get services from an organization that might be out of business, you know, next week when you come for an appointment. Um, now, it's not to say that that happens, you know, on a daily basis, but certainly um, there are organizations that suddenly close their doors simply because they're unable to continue to sustain themselves in what is a very, um, you know, razor-thin margin kind of industry. You know, I have to – one of the nice things that, that we've experienced from having our CARF accreditation is – um, Westbridge is a 501c3, and we're an operating foundation. So um, our whole way of doing business is a little bit different because we're uh, um, we have our founders are on our board of directors, which isn't uncommon, I don't think, um, especially with some of the ARTA programs. But um, you know, I have to say the surveyors initially were they'd ask us questions, and we'd say, "Well, that's not how we do it. You know, this is how we do it." And once they understood the rationale for it, they were okay with it. So I really felt like there was some give and take, and there was some flexibility. That having been part of um, the other creditor for hospitals, I didn't experience that kind of flexibility. And that's what I think is probably the biggest hallmark, you know, of CARF is that. Um, we really don't have a um, set of prescriptive standards that say that you must do things precisely this way. Our standards are written that we believe that there are certain things that have to be accomplished by an organization, but there may be a variety of different ways that that particular standard is being conformed to. And so we 
don't have you know, full-time um, surveyors. Our surveyors are people that are peers in the field that work at CARF-accredited organizations. And when they come, their goal is to learn about how your organization functions, applying the standards through the lens that you have applied those standards in the organization, and then hopefully providing some give and take, as you suggest, some consultation about Perhaps there might be ways to do this better, or, um, or, or I think a lot of times our surveyors learn from organizations such as yours where there's something that's unique that you do that they take back to their organization, and it's, it's kind of a great thing that uh, that information is being spread all throughout the field through this accreditation process. So um, can you just explain, there are different areas of... Um an organization that become accredited. Could you explain to our uh, listeners what those different areas are you can receive accreditation in? Well, there in in uh, behavioral health, for instance, there are 26 different distinct types of programs that an a organization could get accredited in, um, and those things range from typical programs such as outpatient services or intensive outpatient services or case management, but they could be things that are more unique, such as diversion programs, maybe from uh, uh, criminal justice, the, the criminal justice system. It could be uh, assertive community treatment, which are very intensive, you know, wraparound service types of programs, um, or prevention uh, services for uh, programs that are um, providing care to individuals in uh, in schools and settings such as that. And we'll be right back uh, to talk more with Michael about accreditation after this commercial. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Why do people behave the way they do? The study of human behavior is one of the most interesting facets of life. Human behavior gets played out in a limitless number of ways. Now, there's a radio program that explains the why and the how of what we do. Human Behavior, What a Trip, is hosted by Dr. Jonathan Brower and will include interesting guests as well as call interaction from people like you. Let's have fun with this together. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. 
Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and today we're talking about achieving quality through CARP accreditation with our guest, Michael Johnson, who is the Managing Director of Behavioral Health for CARP International. Um, before we went to break, we were talking a little bit about um, the different, I guess, the different areas where you could become accredited in, and um, you, were, you began to talk about the standards. So um, what is the process for developing those standards? Well, we have a very, you know, formal and and somewhat, you know, rigid process as you would imagine for developing standards within CARF. Um, the first the first thing that we do is we identify a need, and how we identify that need could be in a variety of different ways. Whether it's um, stakeholders that may say there's a particular area that we think there should be a program um, for, or uh, we may get input from surveyors. Um, variety of different ways, but then sort of an idea would be born that said, hmm, there seems to be an area of evolution in the field that we want to uh, adapt to. So the first thing that we do is we hold what we call an International Standards Advisory Committee meeting, and that's where we bring together experts from around the country or around the world, depending upon the different program area uh, that we're talking about, where that group establishes sort of the the basic framework of what those standards are going to be. Um, in fact, I'm uh, I'm our CARF is based in Tucson, and I'm in Washington D.C. right now because we're getting ready to have a uh, international standards advisory committee meeting over the next couple of days to establish a new program area for peer and family support services. Um, so we'll be, we'll be working on new standards then. But once that, um, that ISAC meets and fleshes out kind of the standards in a, in a new program area, then it is referred to another body that CARF has, and there's about 40 different organizations that um, are part of what we call our uh, International Advisory Committee. And we would forward to this IAC uh, the standards that are developed in our in our initial pass, um, they give their feedback and and input, and then after the IAC has their shot, then we go to a field review, and during the field review process, we post those new standards on our website. We also send it out more actively to a number of stakeholders. It could be organizations that are accredited, surveyors, um, other interested parties, and we solicit input from from a whole lot of people, and we, you know, read every bit of feedback that we get to make sure that the standards that we ultimately come up with really reflect the desire that the field has. Now, one of the other characteristics that um, is kind of unique to CARF is that in our policy and in our practice, we have not less than 20% of the people who are represented in these international standards advisory committees that are made up of consumers of services. So um, people who have lived experience with the types of programs that we're talking about, we really solicit, we, we bring them into this uh, process to ensure that their voice is ultimately translated into those standards so that... Um, so, so that really we are sticking to our um, sort of person-centered philosophy, which is really at the, the core of the, the CARF standards process. So can you give us an example of a standard that you're, is currently in that process? Well, in, in the um, really that, 
the peer support um, programs are we're right at the beginning of developing program standards for that. The way that um, the, the, typically what happens is that we publish a standards manual every January. So this would be the time in, in the uh, spring and into the summer where we would be refining any new standards that would go into the next year's manual. So right now, that's the only thing that we have that's in the pipeline of, of new programs. The other thing that we're doing is we are taking a look at, um, uh, and I don't, for lack of getting too technical, you know, one of the areas that we have in our um, general program standards for behavioral health is in um, discharge and transition planning. And we think that there's some things that we need to do to um, kind of tweak those standards to make them a little bit more clear and give organizations better guidance about when and how to do transition planning on individuals and then um, sort of clarifying the difference between discharge planning and transition planning. So we're going to be working on that and, and getting some uh, stakeholder involvement in that process as well. In this current climate of uh, managed care and managed benefits, uh, transition discharge planning can be very abrupt. That's um, for sure. <laughs> it's it's difficult. It's not like it was before where you knew how long somebody was going to be there and you didn't have to every three days still try to qualify for an admission. Yeah, and I think that's part of the reason why we recognize that those standards need to be um, adapted a little bit. I think that um, because the general program standards are one that every organization and every program um, has to be able to achieve. Um, you're right, depending upon the, the, the typical length of service for one program versus another, um, you know, if you're in a uh, addictions residential program, um, you know, you may have an expectation that person is going to be there for 14 days, but ultimately may only wind up being there for five or seven days, and um, depending upon what the payer demands. So we want to make sure that, um, that, that we're flexible enough with that transition planning to adapt to that particular type of environment and, but not making, but not letting the organizations that do have folks that are going to be in their programs for a longer length of time, um, from, from not having to inform to making sure that that individual is in, involved in knowing when they're going to be completing this program and what their expectation is for the next service afterwards if there is going to be another service delivered subsequent to the current program. Um, this is kind of, I'm going to digress for a minute. What made you get involved with this? Well, um, me personally, I, I, I worked in CARF accredited programs um, since 1990. I um, had gone through, it just as you, know, you were describing in your organization, going through the, the survey process and was very involved in that in, in my particular organization um, that I worked at uh, in Florida at the time. And um, I, I sort of had this feeling, well, gee, I'd like to learn more about it, um, inquired about becoming a surveyor and, um, and was ultimately selected and, and went through the training. And, and as you said at the, in, at the opening, I did that for 16 years. One of the things that is terrific as a surveyor is that you do have an opportunity to get outside of your organization and see how other people do things. And then you're able to learn and bring that information back to your organization. There are countless things that I learned 
um, in, in doing surveying that ultimately I applied in the organization that, that I worked in. Um, and then uh, because I had worked around CAR f- for so many years, um, the person who um, was the former managing director for behavioral health is somebody who I've known and admired for a, a great number of years, um, had worked in that position for a long time. And when it, when it came open, I thought, it was something that I would want to do. I, I, I wanted to be able to um, take my expertise and experience and apply that to a larger setting. Um, often I could be influential in an organization that I worked at at an executive level and sometimes even in state types of activities, but I was hoping to be able to um, take that expertise onto a larger scale, and, and CARF certainly affords me that opportunity to do that. Well, it certainly is a collaborative process, and um, I think learning is is both when you're being surveyed and also while you're preparing for your survey. Because you know, if I can only say for us, if we didn't have to do this, we would probably let some things go. You know, because you get busy in the moment and you think, oh, well, we'll do that next week. But when you know you're being held to a a certain level, (laughs) you think, oh, we probably should make time to do this this week. No, absolutely. And that's that's the ultimate discipline. I think that as you become accredited for a number of years, it it does become... it, it, your, your culture is enveloped with that, and you have a common language, you have common practices and processes that you establish, and um, and you're right. I mean, there are there are probably you know 70 percent, let's say, of the things that um, are standards in that standards manual are things that you probably would do anyway, because it makes sense if you're going to be in the behavioral health business. But um, that other 30 percent is that part where you're kind of striving to, um, to, to, to do things in a more disciplined way, making sure that you um, have a, a thoughtful strategic plan, that you are evaluating your risk management activities, and that you are um, holding yourself accountable to some set of standards around um, outcomes and being, and being able to, to gather that data and analyze it in a meaningful way to ensure that you're delivering the best possible care to the individuals that you're there to serve. Very well said. <laughs> You've said this before. <laughs> That's the first time I ever I said think, that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, well, you know, I, I think that sometimes we think about accreditation, and um, I think for, for families it's just so important that they really look into what it means to be accredited. Um, you know, I, I know, I don't know whether are you accrediting sober housing or sober houses? It can be, yeah. At all? Yeah. It can that be, that's but, still important. Mm-hmm. But most, no. I think, most of the time, it's probably the organizations are not um, applying for accreditation unless they're being mandated to do so by uh, a local authority. Yeah, yeah, because you know there, there's just a lot of people out there with good intentions, but they're really clueless as to what they're doing. And I think that the accreditation process kind of helps people develop the skills they need to be successful, or weeds out the ones that truly are clueless. Yeah. Well, you know, what really, the thing that you said that really resonated with me was when you said that the, um, it's that process of looking at yourself. I mean, I really think my experience working in accredited organizations is that 
um, the in some ways the survey can be anticlimactic because you've spent all this time, you work at it, and the surveyors come in and look at it and they go, yeah, great, that you're conforming to the standards. And you're like, no, no, this is really important. We worked for six months on this. Um, right. But, but that's, that's the real meaning and that's the important thing is, is that it, it, it forces you to look at yourself and, and to develop good procedures. And we'll be right back after this commercial to talk some more with Michael about CARF accreditation. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Better communication means better relationships in every sense of the word. When you communicate more effectively and interact more effectively, your life is lived more effectively. Tune in to Talk Time with Trish, featuring host Trish Ferrante and co-host Lisa Stewart. Our program is all about the human element. We are all comprised of parts and stuff that we may be aware of or others may be aware of. When we become aware of what others are aware of, it means more to us. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health and Wellness. No matter what our age is, health deserves our utmost attention. But how do you achieve optimal wellness? Tune in to Ask Lorna Live. Your host, Lorna Vanderhaeg, will provide research-backed solutions that will have you feeling fit and fabulous. It all comes down to hormones. We'll show you how it works with mainstream medicine along with nutritional medicine. Listen for Ask Lorna Live every Wednesday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and today we're talking about achieving quality through carpet accreditation, and our guest is Michael Johnson, who is the Managing Director of Behavioral Health for CARF International. Um, you know, I think it's important for everyone to understand that, that this is an investment that an organization makes. Um, there's a significant cost to applying for CARF accreditation, which is um, monetary uh, but then there's also the investment of time to pre- to um, review the standards, to make the changes that you need to make as an organization to adhere to the standards. And over the last couple of years, we have now have one dedicated full-time position 
who that's basically he's quality improvement and and he monitors our carp um, standards to help with our quality improvement. And we recently just did. Um, we looked at uh, discharges over the last six months to kind of get a sense of, you know, what went well, what are the things that we could have done differently with some of our discharges. And it's a continuously improving system, which I think makes us feel like we're growing, even though it is a significant investment. I, I believe it's well worth it. Well, that's what we hope. I mean, I think I, I, I think that in terms of the overall um, fees, for instance, to CARF, I mean, we, we keep a check and we are the the less the least expensive accrediting organization for behavioral health but i think that the commitment that you wind up making internally to your organization for committing those resources like you say establishing um a full-time position which is um monitoring quality and and your conformance to standards i mean that that winds up being where a lot of that that significant investment happens but um but hopefully the dividends are paid um paid back sort of greatly because you know where you stand. You know, um, like you say, you're looking at your discharges, figuring out are we doing the right things the, the right way, um, and, and ultimately that's going to translate into better care. It does, and I think it also it can be very validating as well. You know, um, we get surveyed every three years, so those interim years, it's kind of nice to know you're still doing, you know, good stuff. <laughs> Or there's stuff that, gee, maybe we better look at this because, you know, um, this may have slipped a little bit or the standard has changed. I know um, from our first survey to our second survey, there were a few standards that had changed. Um, so it isn't, it's it's a moving target. Yeah, we do, they do evolve. I mean, they're, um, as, as I was saying earlier, we do publish a manual each year. Sometimes, um, in some areas, very little or nothing may change, but then in other areas, there may be uh, more drastic changes. It really is um, reacting to what's going on in the field, and I think that really, over, you know, we're all facing with the Affordable Care Act some pretty drastic changes. I mean, I doubt there's any more chaotic time uh, in, in health care generally and in behavioral health specifically um, than what we're going to be facing as you know more and more of the of the tenants of of the ACA rollout, and so we at CARF are going to be challenged to continue to ensure that we are maintaining standards that are current and relevant and that meet the needs uh, of, of the individuals that are being served by the organizations we accredit. Really, the um, in in our in our way of thinking, I mean, uh, to CARF, and you'll see this if you look at the standards manual, I mean, we view, you know, the moral owners of CARF as being the individuals that are served by the programs that we accredit. And so we're conscientious to ensure that um, that, that, that that person served is really at the center of, of what we do and how we develop standards and adapt um, those standards over time. So at what level um, are standards set at? That's a good question. I mean, we get, we were asked that. I was doing a training a couple of weeks ago, um, and some people were were sort of um, wringing their hands a little bit about that. You know, it's, um, the standards are set at what um, would probably be established by the industry as being high quality. It's not really the middle of the road. It's probably um, uh, a little harder than, 
than average, but it's not unachievable. All of the standards are set that um, demonstrate good practice and that would be achievable by organizations with a minimal amount of, um, uh, of sort of resource commitment. And what I mean by that is, is that um, we don't have the expectation that an organization that is developed delivering behavioral health care services should have to spend tremendous amounts of money in order to be able to become accredited. Um, but if, if they work hard, they uh, study themselves and, and apply those standards to that organization, they should be able to come up with creative ways to achieve it um, without uh, taxing them to, to a point where they're, they, they feel as though they're going to be unsuccessful at, uh, at being able to, to, to reach that standard. Well, I think that that's really important because um, if you make it too high, it becomes unrealistic and it, it deflates the people who are trying to adhere to it. Um, you know, I think there's something very important about knowing you're doing something right and you're doing something well as opposed to feeling like you're always failing to achieve that standard. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. I I, I think that, um, uh, and and we we recognize that this is part of a process. You know, you, the the way that you may, you can conform minimally to a standard or you can conform, you know, sort of maximally to a standard. Um, If, I think over time, as organizations get more and more confident and comfortable with um, the different areas of quality, um, they may look back at, you know, prior accreditation survey visits, you know, three and six years ago and say, gosh, you know, we were sort of in our infancy in figuring out how to do this stuff, but now we're much better. Um, so we, when the surveyors come, we actually score um, each of the individual standards that are applied um, on, a, on a scoring system, and it's not necessarily relevant to the uh, outcome in that, um, uh, there isn't, there aren't individual standards that are going to make an organization be accredited or not, but it's an opportunity to provide some feedback that says that, you know, yes, an organization may be, um, partially conforming to a standard. They're, they're, you know, more than halfway there, let's say, in meeting a particular standard in, um, in say strategic planning, um, but there's still some things missing, and so it, it, it's, it allows for that give and take, and, and to give credit where credit is due, but to say that it's still not quite up to what uh, the standards would demand. Well, and I think it's important for folks to understand that there's a clinical survey that happens as well as an administrative survey that happens um, concurrently. So yeah, there's the one yeah, there's, person there's is that. focusing I mean, on clinical practice. Yeah, no, there's, there's um, the, the different program areas that um, you apply for um, accreditation in are being looked at equally to the, the business practices. And so we're going to prov- you know, provide surveyors that have expertise in the different program areas that you would be applying for your accreditation. If it was, um, you know, outpatient substance abuse treatment, we're going to make sure that our program surveyor um, has expertise in that, so that not only is he or she able to come in and apply the standards, but um, but as I had said earlier, to be able to provide some sort of consultation to the organization too. And our goal is to add value in the process, more th- in the survey process, more than just the application of you know the yes and no um, about standards uh, conformance, but really hopefully being able to share with you insights as to how other organizations 
you know, perform similarly. Mark, can you share with us, and um, maybe this is an unfair question, but what what is the standard for making uh, a program co-occurring? <laughs> well, we have, um, there, there are, in, in the different uh, program areas, so let's say that you apply for accreditation under outpatient um, and residential treatment. Um, one, of the th- one of the other things that an organization has to define for itself is, does it provide mental health services or addiction services or what we call integrated mental health and substance abuse services, which is commonly referred to as co-occurring. And what we're looking for there is evidence that the organization provides both mental health and substance abuse services in an integrated manner in that treatment plan um, and that staff are able to um, uh, provide care across that spectrum. Commonly, people with mental health issues abuse substances and commonly people who abuse substances have mental health issues. And if we treat them as exclusive domains, we have learned over the years that we are far less effective at achieving the, the types of outcomes where an individual gets into a solid, sound, and long-lasting recovery. And so we want to make sure that, um, that, that there's not separate teams and that um, you know, there's, there's never information shared between the mental health folks and the substance abuse folks in an organization that views itself as an integrated treatment program. I, I asked you that because so many of our families come to us and they've, you know, they've they've been to places that say they do co-occurring disorders, they treat co-occurring disorders, but they really do sequential treatment. They'll get somebody stable in one area and then refer them to another program for uh, treatment in the other area. And so I think that's a, a great um you know, if if an organization is CARP accredited, then that has been defined in some way, shape, or form. Um, well, you can see go to... if you look on our website, if, you, if, if you're an individual and you are looking to get treatment for mental health or substance abuse or both, um, and you go to the CARF website, you can look for CARF accredited programs in your area. It would say what the program area is, and then you would also be able to know whether it's integrated mental health and substance abuse or if they define their programs as a mental health program or a substance abuse program. And what's the website? It's uh, www.carf.org. Easy to remember. I I think so. (laughs) And we'll be right back uh, after this commercial. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. 
Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods, and I'm your host today, and we're talking um, with Michael Johnson, who is the Managing Director of Behavioral Health for CARF International about achieving um, quality through CARF accreditation. And as, as we talked earlier, there's there's the clinical side of quality improvement, and then there's the, the actual organizational quality improvement. And when we were at break, Michael was talking about uh, a few things that are... Um, Evolving for CARP, and um, can you just share with us? We have briefly what what they are. Sure, we have um, in our in the in the field of mental health and substance abuse, or what we now call behavioral health services. It has been sort of detached in a lot of ways from the primary health system. Um, people have been uh, expected to get their primary care services outside of, of the system in which they get their mental health services. And over the last probably five or seven years, there's been a great deal of push and emphasis in our industry to try to bring those systems more closely together. And so we have developed standards um, around health homes, for instance, um, that's in our current manual that um, would, would allow an organization to become accredited that provides both primary health care services and mental health services in an integrated way, very similarly to what we were talking about um, in the integration between mental health and substance abuse services, that the individual plan would include um, treatment that is being monitored around their health status as well as the goals and, and objectives for their mental health and or substance abuse service. Um, so an organization could apply for accreditation as a health home, um, and we would come and, and, and look at that in an integrated way. We also have a new uh, program area, or newer, um, for integrated behavioral health and primary care. So it's 
um, less intense um, than a health home, but also with the expectation that it assesses and, and treats the mental health and uh, primary care services that an individual needs. And then lastly, um, this past year we added uh, another program area that, um, not a program area, I'm sorry, it's a, a special population designation um, in a uh, residential type of program for eating disorders. So individuals that um, offer eating disorders programs um, can be accredited for that in their residential or inpatient uh, treatment milieus. You know, I think that um, uh, behavioral health is such a paradox because for state-funded programs, they're certain um, rules and regulations you need to um, maintain in order to be licensed. Um, but there's no mandate in some states to be licensed, and, and it just seems like it's like the Wild West. Um, you know, there are, there are some states that are highly regulated and really have their act together, and there's other states where, you know, one of the ways they've seen to cut savings was to de- deregulate. And, you know, I... I I think consumers need to have a voice in this, and they have to really stand up and say, we want good quality care. Um, and, I, and I think CARF, at least if they go to the CARF website, they'll begin to see what that should look like. Yeah, I mean, certainly they have that opportunity. I mean, we have, a, we have CARF-accredited programs in behavioral health in every state in the country, so um, there wouldn't be any place that you would not be able to, uh, maybe at some distance, but there is not a state that wouldn't, that wouldn't have at least one uh, CARF-accredited program. I do think that, um, you know, there, there has always been an expectation of the healthcare system that, you know, people are um, licensed, that they deliver a high-value service, and you occasionally hear on the news where um, somebody was, you know, providing unless unlicensed medical services out of a house or garage, and it came to the attention of the authorities, and they shut them down. Um, but a lot of times in behavioral health, they don't seem to apply a lot of those same standards. Um, partially, I think that, um, you know, we still struggle with stigma um, in this country. Uh, we don't necessarily um, give people with uh, addictions or mental illness the same level of voice, perhaps, um, in the state houses um, and at the federal government level um, that we would expect from everybody else. But, I mean, at the end of the day, um, people who are receiving a behavioral health care service deserve to have that delivered in a high-quality way, and that is most likely going to achieve the type of outcome of, you know, a high degree of recovery um, for that individual. And um, so, I mean, certainly we support states that um, have mandates. I mean, I think that there are states that say we want to reduce our cost and of licensing programs. And what many of those states have done is turned to the accrediting bodies and said, you know, if we will um, mandate that you have to be accredited, whether it's us or one of the other accrediting bodies um, for behavioral health. Um, but it, at least that ensures a certain level of ongoing quality improvement um, that oftentimes state regulators are unable to um, enforce anyway. Um, so I, I think that, that you know, folks, if, if you're, you know, seeking an opportunity to advocate for um, what folks need in behavioral health in this country, it would be that 
we, we want to make sure that there's the highest quality possible of services uh, that achieve the best possible outcomes for recovery for the individuals being served. And accreditation is certainly a way to do that. It certainly is. And at least then you're comparing apples to apples. You know, across every state, you're comparing apples to apples. Yeah, and there are certainly differences in the way that, um, you know, licensing rules are applied from state to state, but um, but really we have one standards manual for behavioral health. Um, they they should be complementary to any local requirements. Um, you, you know, if you're meeting our standards, um, there may be some things that um, you also have to do for a local authority, but uh, for the most part, I think, you know, we have, some recognition in many, many states, actually, um, that, that identify that if you are CARF accredited, then we know that you're meeting our basic requirements. I think, um, you know, we had talked about during the break that in Florida, if you, as an example, if you are an accredited organization, then you get what's called deemed status for licensure. The state doesn't come in and do a licensure visit for substance abuse programs because they recognize that you already are meeting um, these higher levels of quality of uh, quality improvement activities. Um, is there a, is there ever a, a time when a organization could lose their accreditation? I mean, besides voluntarily giving it up. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's pretty rare. Um, it it could happen if uh, an organization um, is is blatantly no longer continuing to perform. If there are complaints that are being lodged with us, and then we, during the course of investigation, recognize that they are not um, continuing to use the standards to manage their organization. Um, But for the most part, whether you're in a state that has mandated accreditation or whether you choose to become accredited voluntary as as your organization, Mary, um, usually there's a commitment, you know, to that, that continuous quality improvement. And um, most of the people that work in our field deliver, you know, good services. They want to do the right thing. Um, we just help to provide a framework um, and, and hopefully some leadership down the road to helping them to identify what that quality should look like and what form it should take in that organization. So I guess um, if you were to sum up the value of CARF for our listeners, um, what would you say the, the ultimate value of CARF is? I think the ultimate value of CARF is that the individual that is seeking services, if they find an accredited organization, they can go into that organization to receive services confidently knowing that that company or that organization has committed itself to ongoing continuous quality improvement, that it has um, used these international standards to, to drive the way it organizes its business, and the individual can rest assured that it's going to be treated with, you know, dignity, respect, and that it is um, that that organization's goal is to have a highly satisfied uh, customer at the end of the day. I think for the organizations, it provides that framework to manage and, and to know you know, what to do next. I think um, I, like you, have been in, you know, positions, leadership positions in organizations, and there's always something to do today. There's always some, you know, crisis du jour. But really, 
knowing that you can uh, effectively achieve accreditation and quality is, um, is, is great for the organization and the individuals being served. Thank you so much, Michael, for spending this hour with us. Um, it's been very illuminating for me, and I hope our listeners will um, will take what you said, and, and when they go out to do their research for treatment, they look at this. So thank you so much, and have a good week, everyone. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion, one hour at a time. We'll see you next week.